And the time to start, if you're not living your dream, is right now. Start setting goals and setting out where you set in the course of your life and setting it all up so that you get somewhere in the future. When all that comes together, something happens called fulfillment. If you are not experiencing awesomeness in every aspect of your life, it's just from an internal block or barrier disconnect that you've chosen to take on. Life is as easy or as hard as we want to make it. And I got my hands and my eyeballs and my heart around any information I could around holistic healing. And that led me down a never-ending rabbit hole of which I'm still spelunking into the depths of. I needed something like ayahuasca to really wake me up because I was very rigid and very stuck in my ways and very structured and controlling. And my first ayahuasca ceremony cracked my ego in a billion pieces. And uh, that's when I believe when you when we really follow our deepest truth, when we really follow our soul, when we really follow our true calling, the universe rises to support us moment to moment to moment. Welcome to the Holistic Health and Human Potential Podcast. I am your host, Ronnie Landis. I'm an international speaker, author of multiple books, an integrative nutritionist, a transformation and embodiment coach, and simply a man who has devoted most of my life to the study, application, and integration of human potential. And it is my biggest inspiration to bring you weekly episodes that will expand your mind challenge your paradigm, deepen your heart, and help you to embody the greatest version of yourself as I believe you are meant to do something incredible with your life and this podcast exists simply to support you on that journey. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Holistic Human Optimization Show. I am your host, as always, Ronnie Landis. And we have an incredible episode lined up for you today. I brought on um, a new, uh, a recent acquaintance, friend, and uh, I would say a new colleague in the field of human potential and transformation. His name is Mark England. And, um, you know, how would I describe this individual? Well, he's definitely a conscious language expert. Um, He's a martial artist. And um, someone that, that I think has a multidimensional pulse on um, the nature of transformation. And his focus is really on the nature of language. And this is a unique topic, something that I really gravitated towards recently in terms of his work and what he's doing with his company and his educational course called Procabulary. And it's very unique. It's, it's uh, something that we're obviously going to dive deep into, but I want to say I've, I've explored it a little bit. I haven't gone through the whole course just with the busyness of life. It's something that I'm grateful to have access to. And I, I, I went through about, I'd say, about 15% of it and immediately it made an impact on my awareness of language and how we use language. And, you know, Mark, we got to spend some time together at our mutual friend, Mike Bledsoe's um, Strong Coach Summit, and I got to see you speak and uh, meet you in person, feel your vibe, and, uh, you know, you're, you're the real deal. You know, you're, you're fully embodied in the work that you're doing. You have an amazing story of how this came to be, which we're obviously going to share with the audience, and uh, I'm glad we, we, made, we found the time and uh, were able to, to knock this out with everybody. Thank you, Ronnie. Thank you for having me on. And thank you, everyone, for, for watching this. Yes, words. 
it's a it's a it's a it's a topic to discuss for yeah. sure. Yeah, and um, you know, it's almost hard to know exactly where to start because you know, when we think about language, we think about the power of words. If you've been involved in the personal development industry, um, any form of uh, quote unquote spiritual. Um, or transformational work, personal development work, then the the topic of language, the topic of goal setting, the topic of you know um, uh, what is, affirmations and statements and, and writing down your goals and narrating the storyline of your life, whatever it may be, these are all themes that we've all heard about, right? I think what you do is you take it a level deeper, maybe multiple levels deeper, and you help people architect their life and get very, very clear about the the specific meaning of the words they're using. And maybe not even just the meaning, but actually the words they're using. The, the way that you do it is very unique. It caught my attention. I had a visceral reaction when I first heard one of your interviews. So, um, you know, I just want to say that as we lead into this, first of all, what what is your what's your fascination with language that's the first question i want to open up with you that's a good question ronnie um it, and it it is it's a fascination and it's it's been a long standing fascination i pay attention to what holds my attention and uh a, a couple of things have martial arts was the first thing that that really got me I remember the first time I went in and, and did some submission wrestling and I got, I got choked. I was a wrestler before that and wrestling was cool, but there was something completely different about that. Something like it, it, it sparked an interest in me and, um, and I, I did a deep dive in it and it's the same thing with, with language I was at. And it, so it was, it was me being at the right place at the right time and watching a, a, a woman go through a, a, a transformational experience with her story about a breakup and me needing this work. Okay. Those are two huge variables in this. Um, yeah, I was, I was living in Thailand at the time. I was an elementary school sports teacher in Bangkok, Thailand. Great job. Love the kids. And Personally, though, I was going through a lot. I had, my, my career as a fighter came to a very abrupt end, and that caused, well, I caused me to, um, to get very dark. And as a, once I got tired of that version of myself, I started going out to, down to this health and uh, uh, cleansing spa. I was like, I got to do something here, man. Um, my vice principal, he'd gone down and done a cleanse. He's like, hey, this, they're doing some interesting things down there. Take a look. So I read a book and looked at them on the, on the, the interweb, went down and did a seven-day cleanse. Felt better. Kept going back down. My third trip down, I went and, and watched uh, an emotional detoxification seminar. And, I, and, and this is where I saw a guy that would become very influential in my life, take a woman through a process. It was very short in one sense. And she told the same story three times. It took about four and a half minutes total. Went through the story at the end, crying, tears, anger. Okay. Went through the story again, made a couple of adjustments to the language, and she was now sad, no tears. 
third time through. She took a couple of sighs of relief of pressure and was able to see things differently. She goes, you know, <laughs> the guy was actually pretty weird. It wasn't going to work out anyway. And I saw that and I said, that's not my story. And that's my story. So that right there, it got, uh, and your, 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 your listeners are into, uh, uh, transformation. What the guy was doing at the time was something called emotional freedom technique. Okay. You've probably seen the tapping. Yeah. Great, pro, great process. It's so easy. You can teach it in, in, a, in a, a, a matter of minutes, really. And that's what the, that's what the, the seminar was. And I said, okay, cool. Um, I'm at, and at the very end, he said, okay, now we're going to practice on each other. So I listened to a girl tell a story. I got paired up and started tapping and all that stuff. And then it came my time to talk. And I said, nope. I got up and left. I was so closed. What I did do, though, Ronnie, I went to the Internet Cafe and downloaded the 80-page manual and started to go to work on myself. That was, the, that was when I officially started story work. Mm-hmm. And it's been an ongoing observation. It just trips me out, man, for all the right reasons when we get to dialoguing or if I'm working with myself, monologuing, and I'm, I'm, I'm observing what I'm saying, and then I'm observing the mental imagery it's creating, mm. and I'm observing where I'm breathing in context to the, the mental imagery and the, the, the words, and then I observe the story, or excuse me, observe the feeling. I make an adjustment in the language and those other things change. That's amazing. Yes. That's amazing to me. Seeing someone uh, working with someone, you saw it, you saw uh, it changes people's breathing. Yeah. There are words that stress us out and lock up our breath. Yes. And then there are words that help us get our breathing back down in our abdomen, which is huge. That's where we want to breathe. That's where we started breathing. And I said this in the summit. And please feel free to, to interrupt at any time, ask questions, interject. I can and do go on tangents and rants. <laughs> and uh, the, one of the main reasons that we were at the summit, if we back it up, you know, three and a half, four years, is that we got very clear in vocabulary uh, uh, in our ability to demonstrate someone changing their language and they change their breathing. And so we did a, a, a good amount of work in the yoga, in, the, in some yoga communities. And I, I thought to myself, you know what? I want to work with CrossFitters. I went mm. and I took a couple of classes and I joined a gym for a summer. And I'm like, man, um, these people are, they, they have work ethics. And you know what they want, okay? And they're willing to try stuff, okay? So I reached out and asked five friends who has the best podcast in, in CrossFit. Everybody came back, Mike Bledsoe and the rest is history. Mm -hmm. Okay. There's, there's a number of things that, that you brought up. And I think I want to, I want to just kind of get a little, a little bit more out of, first of all, there, there's a piece around identity that came up in my awareness. And I know that that's a huge part of your, your, uh, a huge part of your work in terms of helping people identify, obviously there's the identifying with the language, but then our own self identity and that being 
that being part and parcel, that being inseparable to, let's say, what we're manifesting, what we're creating, in other words, in our, as our life results, right? Our habits, our actions, our emotional loops or tendencies, the words and the language that we use to describe our situations, our life, our goals, et cetera, et cetera, right? So there, there's a piece around identity, and I want to I go back to that because for me, you and I share a very similar parallel, which is that we've spent a huge part of our life in the martial arts world. And as athletes, I was raised okay. as a martial artist since I was four years old. I don't know if I, if we had a conversation around this or you even no, knew no. about me. But no, I was tell, actually, me, tell me more, please. So I was raised as a martial artist from the age of four years old. It's, it, it was, it was awesome. literally, literally, I don't remember a conscious memory before um, actually having the, the, the iconography of Bruce Lee from Enter the Dragon imprinted on my consciousness. I don't remember anything before that. I remember that, though. And um, that my whole life was, you know, really geared towards martial arts, athletics. I was an Olympic hopeful for um, Olympic Taekwondo at one point. Okay. Yeah. So maybe that makes a little more sense in some, some areas. But um, That's awesome, dude. Yeah. Taekwondo and, you know, is awesome. It, you know, that was my passion. And um, to make a long story short, and this ties into identity, because I also had a huge identity shift that occurred for me. I had a number of knee surgeries. I moved through it. I pushed through it. I actually rehabbed my knees to, to the majority of the degree. And this is actually how I got into health and nutrition. And now what I've been doing for the last decade or so as a profession in the nutrition and health department. Um, but you know, really what I want to get to is that you had an identity and that identity was challenged if not completely obliterated, and you had to find yourself through that. I want you to kind of take us just a little bit through that journey of, because I know that that's how this, I know you kind of, you glanced over it a little bit, but I know that that's how this actually came to be. And that superhero origin story, I think is, is absolutely, uh, it's just important to, to lay out. Sure. I, something I'll use your word visceral happened in me the first time I heard myself referred to as a fighter. I was with my coach in Virginia and we were hanging out after practice. I've been training for uh, about a year and a half and someone called him and he says, I'm just hanging out with one of my fighters. And so it just, it's, it's something snapped to attention in me. And I saw myself differently from that point on, for better and for worse. My training changed. My level of commitment changed. My attachment to being that definitely changed, increased, or was born, forged, pick your word. Um, you know, on an interesting side note about identity, uh, in the book, the talent code by Daniel Coyle, he talks about that. I love those books, that book and, and the, the culture code. I, I recommend very few books. I recommend both of those books. He talks talent about what happens when someone say again, the talent code's amazing. Yeah. I read that a couple of times. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. He talks about what happens to musicians when they identify themselves as musicians. 
or people that are practicing. They, they, they can take a number of groups of people, and when they start, uh, they're, they're, they're practicing uh, music. It was, it was a study done in, in middle school, and the people, they, once someone identified themselves as a musician, they could practice the least, and they would get better faster than people said, oh, I'm just taking this for an elective. Mm. Once we identify ourselves as something, things happen. Mm. Okay. There's an, there's an exercise when I'm, when I'm back in Richmond, I am part of a networking hub. Okay. A networking professional networking group. It's very cool. It's it's all centered around, uh, local nonprofits. It's very heart centered. Okay. And I've spoken at maybe 15 of these different group meetups and we do an exercise where I have them write down two statements Okay, because there's there's the there's the direct identification and then there's the indirect identification. So we're always identifying and re-identifying ourselves, whether we're talking about someone else or uh, talking directly to us. And this makes a this helps make the point. So I have everyone write down this sentence. And again, it's the one one word game. You've seen the one word game. Mm-hmm. She has a lot of confidence. Mm. Okay. Everybody writes that down. She has a lot of confidence. Perfect. Second sentence. She has developed a lot of mm, confidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And people write it down, and I get them to write down, describe the difference between those two statements for you. And what invariably comes back is that from the first sentence, she has a lot of confidence, is that she was born that way. And it's the way she is, and since it's the way she is, then I'm just the way I am. Right, right. Would 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 have been nice to have just had all that confidence, and and it's 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 static, it's factual. Okay, mm-hmm. it is in alignment with the current definition of identity. The current Webster's definition of identity is the fact of being who or what a person is. Okay, <laughs> it's rigid. Then the second sentence which is more accurate, much more accurate, exceedingly more accurate. She has developed a lot of confidence in context to the things that we're confident in. When I first started fighting, I was not confident in my skill level. And as I kept practicing, I developed more and more confidence. Same thing with speaking, same thing with your Taekwondo. Anything anyone who's listening to this has gotten better at at any point in time, it's a developmental process. Key word, process. And so what that, what that tells me indirectly is though, if, if she has developed a lot of confidence, then guess what? I can too. Good. So now what do I do? I practice, I study, I read, I talk to other people. I, I become, I see myself more of, I see myself as more of a process than static and stuck. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it drives mm-hmm. my behavior. I, this is this is fun. I didn't I didn't I didn't do this this one this this sentence uh, uh, exercise, and I am doing it on a call later this afternoon with some of the strong coaches. So here it is. So think. What's, this is the what this is the what if game, Ronnie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What if someone believes these two sentences? So I'm going to I'm going to say two sentences, and you tell me the actions that these people are going to take if they believe them. Okay. okay. Do these jeans make my butt look big? 
or do these jeans make my butt look big? Or does my butt make these jeans look big? Interesting. Does my butt make these jeans look big? If I believe, mm. do these jeans make my butt, you get it. Do these jeans make my butt look big? Guess where I'm going? I'm going shopping. I'm going yeah. to the mall. I'm right, going to get me some right. I'm going to get me some new jeans. If mm. I say does my butt make these jeans look big? I'm going to the gym. Right. That's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> it drives two completely different processes. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Mm. We're doing this all uh, the time and one and one thing I just picked up on one is ownership and one is re- reaction. Like what you yeah. say, like the, the first one is like subtly victim. Like I'm at the effect of the genes versus I'm causing the effect. Yes, exactly. And I should say blue genes because I know that you're, because <laughs> you're a genetic, they're probably thinking epigenetics mm-hmm. and, um, <laughs> and, and, okay. yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. We're blue genes. It's the mall or the gym. Okay, it's 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 the victim or the 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 participant, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's what we did with vocabulary after a thousands of sessions. So I went back down to I did five years in Bangkok um, as a teacher, and then I started studying EFT in in the middle of that shift. I moved back down to that same spot and started as a practitioner. And I spent five years there as well, doing a, as many sessions as I could do. I was un, I didn't know why. I just knew I had to get a lot of experience. So I said just yes to sessions, yes to a lot. And what I did is I started taking notes and it started out as, so core language upgrade, you had been through maybe half of it, a mm-hmm. third. Yeah, I'd say probably okay. a third. So here's the origin of that, which directly directly leads into and lifted, uh, which is the other company I have co-founded. I've got genius business partners. I've brought some of this to the table, and they've done the rest. So anyway, I'm in Kosamui in my hut, working with people, and then they're like, "Man, these sessions are great. What do I do when I get home?" Thought, "Huh, okay, that's interesting." Wrote down a couple of paragraphs. There you go. And then I'm like, okay, well, I need to add that in too. Another paragraph. And then that page turned into two pages. And that and then two pages turned into three, then three to five, five to seven, seven to ten. And uh when I left, I moved to Ecuador. I had envisioned of renting a house somewhere exotic and writing a book. I wrote an ebook and a workbook from these notes that I was giving my clients. Fast forward to 2014, I meet my current business partner, uh, Adam, in Kosamoy. I show him this workbook and ebook. I'm selling it on my old website. And he goes, Yeah, I get it, man. This is really cool. This is good tech. And uh, we could make a business out of this. I'm like, Okay, that's interesting. So we took that that blueprint, the ebook and the workbook, that turned into core language upgrade. Mm-hmm. Before I did Mike Bledsoe's show, I gave all 17 of his employees access to the course. 
they went through it. So we went on the court, we went on the show and, and they were like, listen, man, this has changed our meetings. This has changed the way we converse in the company and the drama has gone down. Okay. And clarity has gone up amongst other things. I'm like, I guess that's the point. Mm-hmm. That's the point. And so in that, in core language upgrade, there's the subset of the English language, two points we want to touch on called conflict language. Yes. Okay. It's, it's the subset of the English language that people use that produces, they use it unconsciously because it's a, it's, we're not taught this stuff in school. In school, we learn about spelling, grammar, and definitions. Okay. What we're talking about here is how words influence our imagination, our feelings and emotions, our physiology, and how we breathe. Okay. Four, as, four major aspects of ourselves that we experience every single day. Sometimes our energy's up, sometimes our energy's low. Energy also is emotion. Sometimes we're feeling this, sometimes we're feeling that. And, you know, hopefully we're breathing. Okay. Very likely we're making little pictures and mental movies of things and we're in, a, we're in this space suit. Okay. So how are these squiggly lines and dots and how are these symbols influencing this hmm. mechanism? Yeah. Okay. That's, that's what this is about. And then how is it influencing other people as well? Mm-hmm. And then how do we, how do we use it to, to, to become, uh, better to use a very simplistic, yeah. very simplistic word. Um, and so the three pillars of conflict language, this subset of the English language. And I definitely like making the point that this is an educational conversation. Anybody can learn this stuff. Okay. It's super simple. There are three pillars to conflict language, soft talk, negations, and projections. And, um, they go, they go like this. I've actually got some, some spell cards here. Did I mention what the definition of a spell was no and that we definitely yeah let's bring talk about spell and abracadabra um okay before we get into this because i want to make sure that we do touch on that okay cool so we'll do that and then <laughs> and then we'll use some of these spell cards because what what does this do i'm a teacher at heart man i love teaching this stuff and i spend i invest pick your word, time, thinking about how to make it very easy for people to understand and then use because that's the whole point of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was down in Ecuador. Um, I was out to dinner and I was with with a group of friends and one of the guys at the table knew I was into language and he said, hey man, you know what abracadabra means, right? And I'm like, yeah, 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 magic. And he goes, no, abracadabra is Aramaic, which is an ancient language. It's the language the original Old Testament was written in. It's old school. It's still spoken in some places in the Middle East. It's like two and a half thousand years old. It's very old. And he said, it translates, it's Aramaic, and it translates to with my word, I create, or with my word, I influence. Mm -hmm. And I went like this. (laughs) <laughs> put my fork down. And I said, dude, tell me everything you know. The metaphysicians of the day, the teachers of the day would triangulate it around their neck, which is interesting. I'm wearing a, they would triangulate wow. it, wear it around their neck to remind them of the power wow. and the mechanism 
of the spoken word because they knew wow. if they got that right, it was the key. It was the keys to the castle. Right. Yeah. Wow. And then it just gets weirder from there. So the definition of a spell is a word or a combination of words of great influence. That's it. So likely, potentially, you remember how I started my two Wednesday morning uh, talk mm-hmm. at, at the Strong Coach Summit. So when you think of the most influential coaches, right, that's right. What words come to mind? Yeah, I mean, there's a whole there's a whole list of them, but one of them in particular was their communication. That's that's obvious. Yes. Yeah. Everyone's going to say that. Yeah. And so when when we're talking about abracadabra. Out of those two translations, I prefer with my words, I influence. With my words, what am I influencing? Back to those four things. My imagination, my Mm -hmm. feelings and emotions, Mm -hmm. my physiology. I can talk myself into having really stiff shoulders and a tight jaw and a locked up psoas and I'm real puckered. That's a conversation. That's a conversation. Or I can... Well, I can talk, I can talk myself into uh, down-regulating, breathing in my abdomen, becoming a much better listener as a byproduct of it. And, and, uh, amongst a variety of other things, which includes better sleep digestion. I mean, pick your, yes. pick your thing you want to improve, breathe better. And you get more of that. Very, very likely. I'm not a doctor though. Okay. What I am is a, a language, uh, um, enthusiast this stuff in it it, it excites me it intrigues me and i'm very enthusiastic about it so when we talk about our languages spells and the their combination of, of words that greatly influence us we can let's do both we can go big picture and then get granular mm-hmm. so the spell cards this is granular the big picture is back to identity so the, the, I am under the spell, interesting, under, mm-hmm. under the spell of Mark England. Okay. I am, I am definitely not an enlightened that's, individual. That's, man, that, that, that's that right there. I just, I don't want to take you off track, but that right there, what you said is a huge, uh, that's because of the language, the way you just phrase that is really interesting because there's a lot of conversation about being hypnotized by programs, conditioning, society, um, marketing, etc. And this is a this is part this is part of it. But what about the spells that we are telling ourselves based on our own sense of identity? Just I just that I don't want to take you off track, but that that what you said right there was like really powerful. All good, man. That's in my opinion. That's that's the greatest spell that we're under. I'm convinced. Part of me is convinced that I'm me. Okay, and I I can I I get a I get a hint at that when I hear my name. Okay, when I hear my name, it's I just snap to it. Some part of me snaps to attention. Oh, that's me. Somebody's talking about me. Okay, that Mark Mark character of mark the conversation that has transpired that's created the character of mark the identity of mark is finite 
it has a it has a beginning word and it will have an ending word. So it's a combination of words, and that greatly influences me. My identity is a spell. It's an ongoing spell, and I, and I participate in it. I can I can make that spell extremely constrictive. You can make okay. it. So you can make it a fact. Yeah, and I can make it very uncomfortable. Right. I could also make it expansive. I can. I can. And and I can make it to where I breathe down in my abdomen more, and I'm more. I see more possibilities, and I'm less judgmental, and on and on and on. You know, weird. Steiner said the definition of a Luciferian. Anything that see by literally makes them tight, clenched jaw. It makes it very hard when someone's in a stressed state, an upregulated sympathetic nervous system response, stressed out state. Their breathing is way trapped in their upper chest, and it's very hard for them to hear. They become bad listeners. You see this in the car when someone's late and they're stressed out. They're over the steering wheel. They turn the radio down because they can't hear themselves think. Okay, and then then from there it becomes very hard for me to see anything else or to change what I'm looking at. We have something called the reticular activating system. I could go into that. That's that is what part of this is. Okay, big part of the conversation. How our words influence what we allow ourselves to see. You know, if I if someone grows up and they hear maybe just a few times uh, said in an emotionalized way from someone that they are uh, genetically related to. They live under the same roof. Um, they eat the same food from, from, for basically eat the same food as, and, and they're in close proximity to them. There's something called entrainment. Uh, you know, so, so people's breathing influences other people's breathing, how people feel influences other people's feel. So we're, we're, we're connected, bro. Okay. And then I, I, I look up to them. I like physically look up to them. So the cards are stacked in the favor of what they say, influencing me dramatically. Okay. And so, uh, you know, a couple of times you, you overhear it, or maybe it's even said to a, you know, seven, eight-year-old kid, you know, it's just so hard to get ahead these days. Okay. You can't trust anybody. People are just out for themselves, man. Okay. I could have been so much farther along if X, Y, and Z hadn't happened. They, that, a couple of times that goes in there, bro, and it starts doing things. And one of the things that it does is it limits my ability to it, it forces me to see things in a certain way, okay? The outside world. Uh, oh, you, you just, you, you'll, you'll just never get ahead. Uh, um, here's a good example, okay, of the reticular activating system influencing someone, big time spell. Then we'll get into the spell cards. A, a client of mine came in. She sat down. It was very abrupt. She goes, I have a problem with my face. And I said, okay, tell me the story. That's exactly right. Yeah, exactly. I said, tell me the story. She said, I know where it's coming from. I just can't do anything about it. Or I don't, I, I want to know what to do about it. She was mid twenties and 
her great aunt. They were at Christmas. I'll tell two stories. They were at, it was Christmas at her grandparents' house and the great aunt was over and the great, great aunt, it was just like 10. The great aunt come like comes in and leans down and goes, my, you have a big nose just like me. And the girl goes, <laughs> goes straight into the, into the bathroom, looks at her nose, which is physically no bigger than it was. 30 seconds before that woman said that to her, but now she sees it as big. Another Christmas story. Another true story. Client comes in. She's like, she, we could just get right into it. She's got a, a eating disorder. And she said, I know where this comes from too. Her, so power, the power of words. There, she gets a shirt uh, at a family gathering and um, she holds it up. She can't see what's on it. She holds it up and she can only see the back and everybody starts laughing at her. She's young. And, and she goes like this and it's Garfield laid out like this with this big gut and says, I'm not fat. I'm just big boned. She bursts into tears and that was the first night that she skipped dinner. Which kept on going because the words went in man the words went in because they always go in (laughs) especially especially um especially when we're receptive to them i'll say it that way right Mm -hmm. and one, one way to stay selective is to get your breathing down in your abdomen okay so when someone says something to me and I'm breathing well and no part of me reacts to it, Teflon. Mm-hmm. Someone says something to me uh, and I go like that. Uh-huh. I know that that just po- that, that either went in or it triggered something. Same thing when I say something to myself and it just no reaction. Cool. I'm breathing well. Get that breath down in your abdomen, people. Keep it there because that's where we started. Would you say, would you say that that's the same as the, the breathing patterns? That's the same as being centered or uncentered being when you're centered in yourself, right? Then you're not susceptible to the subliminal programming, the messaging or whatever, the good intentions of other people, um, basically becoming part of your own identification. You're not identifying yourself as the outside world because you're centered within yourself and your breathing is an indication of where you are on that spectrum. 100%. That's how I demonstrate centeredness. That's my best... Um, De- definition isn't the right word. It's, uh, that's what I got. Centeredness means to me stability. I know when I'm, I'm all, I'm all tense and tight. I'm, I'm top heavy. No bueno. That's an interesting one. Okay. So we got a couple of negations. Got some soft talk. We'll start with the soft talk. Okay. And we got some projections. These are good. Awesome. Dude, I was definitely wanting to, wanting to make sure that we addressed, 
address these key terms. Yes. And then we'll finish with this one. All right. So these are all real things real people have said. I was with a good friend and someone was, he's very good at what he does. Very, very good at what he does. And someone was inquiring about booking him for their retreat. And this is what he said. I'm still open to the idea of sorting something out at some time. That sounds incredibly unclear and uncertain. Big time. What kind of, so we can, we can go in, well, just we'll touch on some of these aspects of ourselves. When you hear that combination of words, Ronnie, what do you feel? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel uncertainty. I feel total lack of clarity. And um, I, if I'm the person in the other position, I don't feel valued per se as an opportunity for that person to be at my event. And let's add in their ability to commit. Their ability, their, bingo, right. And depending, their level of confidence in themselves. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a big one too. Soft talk has got teeth, man. Do, you, do we drop F-bombs on here? Go for it. Okay. I said this in the, in the Strong Coach Summit. I'm like, quote me on this. Soft talk is a motherfucker. Because it is. It's so fun, in one sense, fun to use, and it's everywhere once you train yourself to hear it, also known as your reticular activating system. And it's, it's, it's seductive, and it's soft, and it keeps people noncommittal, even if they want to be decisive. Long, yeah. Prolonged bout, bouts of indecision are horrible. It, it, no, it's, it's literally, you know, it's, this, this, could e- this could be a very in-depth conversation and what you're bringing out. You know, obviously my focus is on, it's on peak performance, holistic health, nutrition, longevity, that whole cascade, which ultimately has to do with wellness, right? Yes. And from a wellness perspective in the mind-body connection, the psychosomatic connection, what we know about how the mind influences our, our um, physiology, our immune system, et cetera, that particular tendency to be in that that soft talk, as you put, um, has a negating effect on the immune system. It has a, it it can actually it can actually um, uh, what's the word lethargize to cause someone to become lethargic and tired and 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 you know basically weakened. Yes, very well said. By the way, surprise, surprise. Here's another one. I guess. It sounds like I'm making a lot of excuses. I guess it sounds like I'm making a lot of excuses. What kind of mental imagery of me do you create when you hear me say that? I guess I'm making it. Well, there's, there's a complete lack of ownership. There's like, there's like the attempt to almost take ownership of the fact that I'm making excuses, but I don't want to take ownership of it for God knows what reason, but that's basically what comes to mind. Yes, that's, that, that is accurate. It, it creates wiggle room. Yeah, it's, it's, very, can, it's just can. ambiguous. As the old saying goes, what happens in vagueness stays in vagueness. Wow. <laughs> and let's get um, syntactical about the conversation. So 
there, how many eyes are in that statement? Mm, two eyes. There's two. My personal experience is the more me's that I create and get involved in the conversation, the harder it gets. Why do I need a second eye in there? Uh, Take uh, it out. See what happens. I'm making a lot of excuses. Now it's either true or false, and I'm going to know. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the likelihood is there's a there's a 99.4% chance that I am if I'm making this sentence, this statement. You know, I should probably spend more time with the kids. If I, if someone says that they know they should. There's another one. I think it was a seeking of acceptance kind of thing. Mm. When a person was talking about their, their uh, desire to please and appease other people in their life. Okay. Mm -hmm. I think it was a seeking of acceptance kind of thing. What did we do with this sentence? We took off the kind of thing, okay? It was, uh, I was seeking, I think I was seeking acceptance. Mm-hmm. You think you were, you were. I was, I was seeking acceptance and it made it solid and then the person can make a different choice. Uh, it, when, when we use this kind of language, it keeps the choices out there, just uh, right out of reach. Yeah, so, okay, that, that, that's a key distinction right there. So when you're using this language, it's almost like an unconscious self-sabotaging mechanism to keep you from actually choosing a direction yes Yes. soft talk yeah wow deadly 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 it's deadly let's talk about another flavor of deadly so uh if anyone and everyone that's listening to this does know someone who's a olympic level world-class warrior they're just so good when it comes to worrying. <laughs> this, these are the, these are the. Oh, okay. We're gonna back up. The keywords, the soft talk keywords. I think it's it's almost like I guess maybe perhaps sort of. Wow. Potentially's one day's tries hopes. Remember those people. Mm. So this this is and those those are the the keywords that keep people indecisive. And noncommittal. Blah blah blah. And then there are negations. So for the people that, you know, you're, you got your uh, Olympic gold medalist of worrying, um, you know, which I, I find strange. My grandmother was yeah, a super heavyweight. Totally. I'm, she had, she could have gone in the ring with, with Iron Mike Tyson if the contest was about worrying and he would fold. <laughs> And then they, then, then they, 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 and then they, they say things like, or at least my grandmother did. Um, they, they talk about it as a demonstration of love. Oh, I'm just so worried about you. Right. And so let's build that conversation out. So let me, let me, let me get this straight. You're relentlessly making pictures of me suffering failing and uh um having problems of all sorts and that's your way of loving me and then you telling me that is supposed to get me to love you me to appreciate you that's like someone mailing you like five pounds of dog turds in the Mm. mail and saying Mm. did you like your package it's like no and this is how they do it, with, with negations. I can'ts, won'ts, isn'ts, 
nots, hasn'ts, haven'ts, shouldn'ts. I can't let it kill me. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of picture do you make there? Not a good one. Of you getting killed. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. or something bad happened or or right. i have to or i have to immediately go on the extreme defensive because my life is all of a sudden at threat oh yeah you're exactly you are now under threat hello hello sympathetic nervous system response cortisol spikes testosterone drops not good no bueno mm-hmm. um i i don't like arguing with people all the time what did i just make a picture of arguing with people all the time. Now, am I really arguing with people all the time? Mm-hmm. No, it's only ever some of the time. And if that's what I don't like, what do I like? Oh, I, I like, I like clear communication. Cool. I like working things out even better. I like having fun with people. Oh, let me make pictures of actually what I do. The first thing my driving teacher said when I got in the car was look where you want to go. Cause you're probably going to go there. Thanks dude. I opened, right. Right. I opened uh, a couple of, well, not open, but I've included this conversation in the conversation in two years of workshops. I was doing a lot of work in, 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 uh, with groups of people that knew what vision boards are. I'm like, okay, vision boards, raise your hand. You know what a vision board is? Everybody goes, yeah, I do. So what do you do with a vision board? What do you, so, you know, we take the pictures of what we want to manifest and we put mm-hmm. them up there and then we look at them. Why? Oh, so it trains our subconscious mind to, um, uh, you know, uh, get, be attracted to those things, get comfortable with the idea of creating those things, having those things, create the feeling. Great. Do you ever put what you do not want on your vision board? And they're like, no. Why, why would I do that? I'm like, well, how about your internal vision board? That's called your imagination. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And people... People put what they don't want on their internal vision board all the time. I can't let it kill me. I can't keep focusing on my past. This, this is one of the all-time best. Yes, I've done that before. Yeah, yeah, of, of course. I was coaching a young guy, uh, and we're in a room, and he's looking right at me. We're about five feet away, and he goes, I can't keep focusing on my past, Mark. And about three times that fast, turned around and looked behind him. And I go, you know, you just turned around and looked behind you, right? He goes, what, really? And I said, yeah, what'd you see? And so we did the four things. He, he said, I can't keep focusing on my past, his physiology. He turned around and looked behind him. That was a macro movement. Wow. Okay. What was he feeling? Stressed and anxious. Where was he breathing? Trapped in his upper chest. What was he envisioning? He was envisioning himself alone and on the couch. I said, cool, buddy. Write it down. And he did. Here's one of the antidotes to this whole thing. Get your pen and paper and write down some of the boogeyman thoughts. Okay? There's going to be soft talk. There's going to be projections. There's going to be negations. He wrote down, I can't keep focusing on my past. So I asked him, I said, if that's what you can't keep doing, what can you start do it. this mark mark i gotta just this what you're saying right here is such a paramount point of importance for all of us 
and it's so like in the example you're given, I know in, in instances in my past, how unconscious this particular behavior is of a focusing on what we don't want. Um, the example you gave of the grandmother, I thought was really interesting. And I've, I've talked about this point many times of particularly parents and grandparents who will project upon their children or their, their, you know, their children or grandchildren, their idea of love but it's but it's projecting all their worries and concerns and and it's like and it's no wonder why we and why we adopt and I think adopt is the right word adopt or inherit I know you've used the word inherit these weird language these ambiguous um, woo woo ish language patterns to describe or, or I should say to avoid describing what we want because we can't commit to what we want, you know, confidence, certainty, um, all these things. It's, in other words, it's no wonder why we aren't confident. It's, I think that's probably the point that I want to get to. It's no wonder why we aren't confident. I find it absolutely fascinating that I walk outside and the whole place isn't on fire. Right. Totally. Most people's language works against them. It's amazing that we, everything is standing up. Yeah, exactly. That car, that there's not um, <laughs> gunfights all over the highway at all times. It, it's shocking to go into a restaurant and sit down and everyone's eating and, and, and like all things considered. It's yeah. very, it, it, it tells me a lot about our ability to, to cope with things. Yes. Wow. You know, yes. We're very resilient, very resilient creatures. Okay. And, and on a deep level, we know that we, we know what to resist. Talk about resist. Let's forget resisting the external world. Let's resist ourselves, parts of ourselves, aspects of ourselves. Let's get that right. Myself included. Everything that I say to everybody, I need to hear this stuff too, man. I Mm. had the most entrenched victim mentality ever, and I'm still unwinding that. Mm. And Mm. I will for however long I will. Okay. That's fine. I'm in the arena, and I'll mm-hmm. take it. Yeah, I've, I learn a lot from myself for sure. Um, so you know, my my hats off to to anybody. I said this at the the seminar. My hats off to anybody that that contemplates their language and does a little bit of story work, or maybe m- more than a little bit of story work. It's brave. You want to talk about courage? writing down our stories and looking at our thoughts and saying, yes, I've been thinking that. And yes, right. I've been acting that way. Right. And that is, that is, it, it's, it's a strong drink, brother. Well, that, I mean, that, that's no different than being addicted to any external substance, you know? And it's a, it's a much more tricky one because it's, it's invisible. It's, it's a blind spot. And, and I think the work so that familiar. it's, it's so familiar. Yeah. That, that's one of the things Joe Dispenza talks about all the time. And I think I see a parallel between, both of you and the work you're doing, there's a bridge, um, which is really fascinating. Um, and you know, Joe Dispenza, you know, he talks about the fact that people will say like, Oh, this feels right. And he says, it doesn't feel right. It feels familiar. Mm. F- distinction of the century for transformation like this, because we're always like, Oh, file, follow your excitement, follow your bliss, follow your heart. Well, what if your heart's jaded? What if your heart's wounded? What is that what you really want to be following? Like there has to be more of a sophisticated set of distinctions that we make in terms of like, how do we, yes, follow your heart, but be aware of where it may be misleading you based on prior experiences of, of your, you know, this life. Dude, 
Very well said. Very well said. There's another negation. I'm sure it has everything to do with not wanting to have a failed relationship like my parents. This person was talking. Yeah. What, What do I have to focus on? I have to focus on my parents' relationship and the worst parts about it, and then it's inevitable failure. Mm. This, this woman was talking about um, uh, her the, the, the reason why she's so obsessive about where her husband goes. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then let's, let's talk about, let's finish up with the venom, the blame game, projections. <laughs> so these create, these sentences create victim and villain mental imagery. I'm in there, someone else or something is in there doing something to me, okay? He made me think we needed to get married. Wow. He made me think we needed to get married, okay? And and we've translated all of these, by the way. Okay, write that down. And the person was super angry. Okay, cool. A couple of questions because sometimes it's it's too strong of an experience to go right for the translation. Take out the now, now, now. Take out the he and put in I. And they'll say it like a question a lot. Uh, I made me think we needed to get married. Why? Because it's not familiar. Mm. Back to back to your word. It's right. in Joe Dispenza's word. It's not familiar. Yet, so it's said with upward inflection. It's like a question. I made me think we need to get married. Yep. <sighs> Take a sigh of relief. Yeah, it's a, it's it, it that hurts in another way, but I my body knows it's better, which uh-huh. I find fascinating. Why does some, some part uh, innate part of me know that it's good to do this? And it and it demonstrates that by taking the size of relief of pressure. It's giving me positive feedback. It's almost like we're made to develop ourselves. <laughs> right. Right. I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that simply because of observing the mechanism. We get rewards by taking responsibility. Okay. The, I know you have a hard stop coming off, so I'm going to milk the rest of the time that we have here because this is really just getting into such a and – we'll, and obviously, we, we talked about doing a part two, so that's so. – you know, so that's coming everyone, but this is, this is getting into like some really powerful nuanced territory. One of the things I wanted to just, it's, it's somewhat obvious and you're pointing it out, but like all those, all those statements that you read out are also probable, if not guaranteed statements of what will occur. That's being stated as things that don't that this individual does not want to occur. In other words, I am guaranteeing that I'm going to have this type of relationship. I'm guaranteeing that what I say I don't want is going to happen, um, which is, you know, again, it's seemingly obvious, but if it were obvious, we wouldn't be doing these things. True statement. She makes me second guess myself. I don't make me second guess myself. No, no, she does. And and then student loans ruined my life. I saw this guy holding a sign out on Venice Beach Boardwalk, fascinating place to people watch. And he he had a sign that said, "Student loans ruined my life. Six thousand dollars in debt. Anything helps." And so I was like, "Dude, I'll give you a dollar if I can take a picture of you." 
He said, yes. I took a picture of the guy. I sh- if I had my A-game hat on, I would have had, I would have bought the sign from him and laminated it. And so let's see here. Student loans ruined my life. Got it. $6,000 in debt. Got it. Anybody that's gone to school that knows that $6,000, that buys you one semester. $6,000, man. Get in. Come on, man. Like, Get in the I'll, gear, bro. That's, com- game, that's, that's a semester at a community college. That's, that's a on, a, on, a, on a good day. Come on now. On, on a good day. And so um, <laughs> if you go to school for, I, I'm, I'm, you know, uh, uh, guessing here. If you go to school for one semester and stop, uh, especially if you're a 20-year-old male, you probably partied the whole time, which has nothing to do with me. Student loans got me. I'm just, I'm just walking down the walking down the the street, minding my own business, and student loans jumps out from behind a tree and rolls me and gets me to sign on the dotted line and and runs off in into the into the parking lot laughing because it it got me. And then, by the way, ruined. Let's just say ruined because I'm 20 and if let's say I live for another 50 years, the re- the 50 years coming are ruined. It's it's over. Why even try? <laughs> And then he goes right into his dad being an asshole. He goes, and my dad, that asshole, makes $78,000 a year, and he won't even help me out at all. Other than the fact that he, he birthed you on the planet, but let's forget about yeah, that. Yeah, let's, let's bypass that real quick. So what, what, what's really potent about this, and I know the word is on both of our minds right now, which is responsibility. And I find it so fascinating. Um, this, yep. has been a, this has been a theme um, that I've really just – I've really anchored into my own my own work and my talks and all these things. Whether it's health, one of the biggest one of the biggest issues in the health world is the deference responsibility. Oh, the medical establishment will take care of it. The government will take care of it. My nutritionist and my doctor will take care of it. So I don't need to be responsible for my own health protocols. I don't need to research. I don't need to invest. Someone else will take care of it. We obviously know what ends up happening to those individuals um, in the conspiracy world, which I, you know, I've spent quite a long time into. Um, there's a lot of great, do. yep. There's a lot of great stuff in there, but there is a very pervading theme in that too, is that it attracts a lot of victims and it attracts this, this deference um, of responsibility. It a lot of victims too. And, and Oh yeah, yep. totally. And once you start telling people to actually start taking responsibility, um, you see who's who really quick. On that note, that's interesting that you bring that up. I rarely talk about this because rarely it's relevant to talk about, is that my experience with, I got into this work right around the same time that I got into uh, looking into things differently, also known as conspiracies. And what I noticed is that for myself and other people, conspiracy theories are uh, very dangerous when someone's coming in with a pre-existing victim mentality, they just take that stuff and set it right on top of it. And it's like, yes, I got more now. We can talk about government. We can talk about black ops. We can talk about aliens and oh, vaccines, and whatever. Just, just, just give me the good, give me the worst news you got. Okay. And I also um, came to the conclusion through processing to the degree I have my own victim mentality and uh, is that those things become different mm-hmm. in a better kind of different mm. 
And, and, um, you know, if someone came down <laughs> talk, talk. So, yeah, and said, um, you know, you're living in a feedback loop and 7 billion people are victimizing themselves with their words. Okay. Um, so we're going to give you the exact reflection of that externalized in the form of endless wars and all the other weird things that you can talk about government yeah. uh, and, and secret societies and just, mm-hmm. weird things. Um, and they said, that's why that's there. I'd be like, okay, yeah, cool. That makes sense. Makes perfect sense. And that's fair. That's like that's more than fair. That's what that just that means this place is school. Yeah, right, right, right. This is a school ground to learn, grow, empower ourselves and potentially make different choices than we did before or our our predecessors did before. IE the controllers or whatever. Sure. And then on that on that note and we'll We'll wrap here soon. I've got one more spell card. It's good. Yes. People will like it. Uh, you know, be be kind to yourself with this process because mm-hmm. you're standing in the way of uh, um, an incredible inheritance. You're in, you're standing in the way of your your parents' stories that they created, and your grandparents' stories that they created, and all the the pictures and the the, the mm-hmm. energy and the emotions and the decisions that they made and and, and I mean, we inherit more, we get more from our parents than our, than our eye color for sure. And yeah. then, then, and then we get the same language that they use to create all these stories and energies and decisions. And we get handed this way of telling ourselves stories. It's like, it's a, it's a, it's a monumental feat of, of, of bravery to, wow. to, stand, to look, to, to not stand up for yourself, to stand mm-hmm. up to yourself. Wow. Not to, to not stand up for yourself, but to stand up to yourself. I've to never had to stand up for myself ever. Wow. Okay. And, or when I thought I needed to, I was confused because I only ever had to stand up to myself. Right. Cause that self that you're talking about is the, the, the self-generated created identification, which is what you've convinced yourself to be, which has a set of behaviors and programs that may or may not be serving your authentic self. Let's take it home with this. The one word game, read that out loud, please. How can I ever get over this? Describe the feeling. (laughs) How can I ever get over that? Well, it sounds like I'm never going to get over this. First of all, um, I'm asking an impossible question. Yep. And you know what? You're not even asking a question. You're making a statement. Wow. It sounds like a it's question, called, but it's a statement. It sounds like, yes, it's got a question mark on it, but it's a statement. It's a presupposition. How can I ever get over this? It presupposes I can't, hence the feeling of all of that. Wow. Okay. And then we take out one word. How can I... Let's see. What's the word? How can I get over this? That's how it reads. Take out that one word. Oh, I see. How can I ever? Yeah. Okay. So got it. Mm-hmm. 
how can I ever get over this? Take out the word ever. How can I get over this? Oh, see, the, now, damn, that's oh, right there. Now, all of a sudden, it's like in the realm of immediate possibility. You're actually yes. asking a genuine question. You're asking a real question and you're allowing yourself to see the opportunity whoa, to do so. Whoa. It's also a presupposition. You're presupposing that you can, hence you get to see it. That, that one right there was the most immediate for me. Like that one right there just showed the, showed the, the, the disparity of the, the, the phraseology so just is so quick. Let's do this again, Ronnie. Yes. Yeah, let's do that. Um, we'll set up a part two between you and I and um, everyone listening. Whoa. You might want to listen to this again because this is, this is some deep stuff. And, and I've dove in um, fairly deep into Mark's work and getting to know Mark and, and hanging on person for a little bit of time. And um, I got a lot of digging in. I'm having my own breakthroughs right now. So, um, yeah. Just Mark, thank you so much for coming on. My first. pleasure, man. Yeah. Yeah. Thank let's, you for, thank you for having me on. Thank you for everybody that's listened to this mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, we'll get into goal setting next, next. On the yes, next that's session. right. Now, that's thank you fun for fun stuff too. Yes. Thank you for reminding me. That's exactly what we wanted to dive into. So for everyone listening um, where can they find out more about you, your vocabulary course? I highly recommend if you're a human being, um, you take this course because this is universal and applicable to every single person um, without exception. So where can they get access to that? Cool. Go to procabulary.org. Go to courses. There's a three-minute video on it. It's 21 lessons, 10 minutes a day, 10 minutes per lesson. Makes it very easy to do. And if you like what you see, on the next page, click a couple of buttons, and then there's an add coupon button. Okay, it's two ninety nine. It retails for two ninety nine. Add coupon uh, uh, next level, and you get a hundred dollars off. You have lifetime wow. access to the course. Wow. Review the videos, man. Wow, that that's and incredibly then, and then, generous of you. Thank you. Use it. Yeah, my pleasure, man. We want people to get this. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, part two coming. Thank you so much, Mark. This is just a pleasure and honor. Ronnie Landis, I'm, I'm glad things worked out the way they did. It was great meeting you at the summit. And um, yeah, we'll do part two soon, man. Awesome, brother. Have the best day ever. You too. I will. I hope you enjoyed this fascinating episode of the Holistic Health and Human Potential show. Before you head off, I want to invite you to go to my website for further podcast episodes and tons of free content on holistic health, natural nutrition, and human potential. Please go to www.ronnylandis.net to find out how to take your health and your life to the next level. And also, I want to encourage you to leave a five-star review for this podcast on our iTunes page, which will help me in my mission to get these inspiring messages to millions of people throughout the world. I thank you so much for your support, and I look forward to continuing to provide amazing conversations and content on holistic health and human potential.